Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We are going to continue our study through the book of Acts. I think this is our fourth sermon uh, in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2 verse 36. Here we go. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, him is Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Amen, huh? Power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we have. God, I thank you for this great congregation. Lord, I so appreciate their, their willingness to uh, be inconvenienced and to work hard for your kingdom and to meet at another place next week. And uh, God, they just, they just have such a sweet spirit of uh, cooperation and fellowship. And God, I, I just thank you for that. And Lord, I thank you for, uh, for the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that converts 3,000 souls in one day. God, that's amazing. 3,000 people's lives changed forever. Their eternities changed forever. God, we want you to move like that again. We want you to move in our midst, God. Uh, we want you to, to change people, Lord, to save them. I thank you for Jordan who came forward in the last service to be baptized. God, thank you for, for his commitment to you. God, I pray that your spirit would speak loudly and that you would transform us today. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the uh, difficult life lessons to learn is that when someone makes a big mistake, it's not polite to talk about it. Okay, did you guys know that? It's not polite to bring it up when someone has really made a mess. I mean, they've really just messed things up. It's just not the polite thing to do to talk about. Now, I struggled learning that lesson as a kid, you know, and I didn't quite get that. I didn't understand that. Let me give you an example of that. We were on a fishing trip one time. My uncle used to take me fishing in the summers. My dad was a farmer, so he was gone. Uh, Eastern Colorado and Western Kansas most of the summer. And so my uncle would take me fishing. He'd take me on their, their family, family trips together. So it was me and my, my cousins, my uncle, and then his father-in-law, who, who they called Grandpa Charlie. He wasn't my grandpa, but we all called him that. Uh, he was a great fisherman, and he would go on the trips a lot, as, a lot of times as well. well. One year, he had a brand new pole. He'd gotten a new pole, and instead of the little push-button Zebco kind that I always had, you know, he had, he had the one that the, the, the little deal came over the top, you know, and you held it, and you, you know, let go of that when you cast it, and it was kind of a new fancy one. He, he and my uncle talked a lot about it. It was brand new. It was really nice. And anyway... We were, we were out fishing in a boat on Wilson Lake, and, and the, the bass were hitting the shad on, on the surface of the water. So there'd be all that activity on the surface, you know, whenever they were feeding. And, and we'd take the boat. We'd watch for that. It was a real calm day. When we saw it, we'd buzz over there right in the middle of it. He'd turn off the engine. We'd all throw out our poles. I mean, we just raked in the fish. And it, I mean, it was, it was a blast. The best time I think I've ever had fishing was doing that there. And so we were doing that, and we'd been doing that for half an hour or so, and the, the, the bass hit the water. We came in. We, uh, Uncle turned off the engine. We glided in. Everybody threw out their, uh, the cast out their poles, and 
Grandpa Charlie, he threw his whole pole, okay? So there it went sailing, you know, sailing over there. And he was a guy in his 70s at that time probably. And, and I'll never remember my uncle, you know, Grandpa Charlie like goes to the edge of the boat to go in after it. And, you know, and, and I remember my, my, my uncle going, just let it go, just let it go. You know, there it goes sinking down to the bottom of Wilson Lake. But here was the funny thing to me. And I just remember this being funny, okay? Throws his pole in the water. My uncle says, all right, everybody reel in. So we all reeled in, you know, he starts up the boat and we went, we went home. I mean, we, we left, we, that was it, you know, and nobody ever said anything about grandpa Charlie throwing his pole in the water, you know, and I remember, I can still see my cousin's face. We're kind of in the back of the boat. We're looking over at each other, just laughing, you know, trying to hold, you know, and we're like busting out one to talk about this thing. Cause that was funny. You know, I mean, this guy just threw his pole, his new pole in the water and nobody says a word. Nobody ever said a word. I mean, at camp, nobody, nobody talked about it, you know, and I just remember thinking that was really strange, you know, and grandpa Charlie was all grumpy the rest of that day. And, you know, didn't, you know, I mean, I get now that it's not polite to talk about when people make a big mistake, okay? I get that. Peter, Peter never did learn that. Peter never learned that, okay? This was his first sermon at Pentecost. And I want you to notice, here's the summary of Peter's sermon. I can summarize this pretty easily, real real easily in one sentence. Jesus is awesome beyond imagination, and you were foolish enough to kill him, okay? I mean, that's, that's his sermon, And he says it over and over again. Jesus is awesome. You killed him. Jesus is glorious. You killed him. Jesus is everything. You killed him. I mean, he keep that's 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 Peter's sermon. Look at verse 22. I'll just kind of walk through this with you. Verse 22, he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Peter says, look, God clearly showed that Jesus is king. He's Lord. He's God. He did all these incredible signs and wonders and miracles through him. In verse 23, he says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter's not afraid just to say that. He says, you killed the king of glory. You killed him. You rejected him. God sent him and you killed him. He goes on to say, look in verse uh, verse uh, 24. He says, but even though you killed him, he says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. I love this part. This is one of my favorite phrases. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Man, did you hear that? It's not possible for Jesus to be held by death. What is it that we fear more than anything? It's death. You can overcome a cold. You can overcome heart disease. You can overcome cancer. You can overcome a car wreck. You can overcome really bad mistakes in your life. You can't overcome death, all right? When death comes, that's it. Except for Jesus, Jesus overcame death death. Death could not hold him. Okay. He goes on in verse 33. He was raised from the dead. And then verse 33 says, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God. So where is Jesus now? Well, the Jesus that you killed, God raised up. And now he's sitting at the right hand of God. When you're at somebody's right hand, you're at the place of power. You're at the place of authority. You're at the place of majesty. And so Peter says, the Jesus that you killed, God raised up. And he's now sitting at the right hand of God. Look at verse 34 and 35 at the end of verse 34 he quotes the psalm the lord said to my lord sit at my right hand until i make your enemies your footstool so not only is jesus at the right hand of god but god leans over to him and says hey you sit right here until i make everybody that opposes you under your feet okay look at verse 36 
Here's how he finishes. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Jesus. God has made him both Lord. What does it mean to be Lord? He is king. He is ruler. He is your master. Okay? Lord and Christ. Christ is a word that means Messiah. God's anointed one. This Jesus, he says it again, whom you crucified. He comes back to it over and over again. Jesus is awesome and you crucified him. You rejected him. Now, here's what the Bible says. You were not there 2,000 years ago. You weren't a part of this, this, these people gathered in Jerusalem that Peter's talking to today. But you know what? The message is the exact same to you. You are responsible for the death of Jesus. It is your sin that brought about the death of Jesus. It is your rejection of God that brought about the death of Jesus. And we may not have been the ones who nailed him to the cross as the Romans were. But listen, Peter's talking to the Jews and he says, you're responsible. You crucified the Lord of glory. You rejected God. God came in human flesh and you didn't want him. Romans chapter 1 tells us that's true of all of us. Pastor Chris preached on this passage last week, last Sunday night. And, and, and here's what Paul says of, of mankind. He says, we've exchanged, this is verse 23, we've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, okay? So, so Paul says, just like a sweater that you get from your aunt that you don't want at Christmas time, and so you take it back and get something else that you do want, okay? Just like that, that's what you've done to God. You say, God, I, I, I see who you are, and I, I, say, I hear what you say. I'm not interested, God. I, I, I know about your Bible and I know about what your word says. I know about this whole deal about worship and church and faith and cross. Not interested in any of it. Every one of us is guilty of that sin. We are guilty of looking at the Son of God and saying, I don't want you. I'm, I, I reject you. I know we all are guilty because the Bible says in Romans three twenty three, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us has rejected God. Every one of us has been disobedient to God. We've broken His commands. We've turned away from Him. We've not wanted God. And listen... That is the worst of all sins, okay? Now, I don't think you can rank sins. Some, some of you try to do that, don't you? You know, all of your sins are like at the bottom. They're, they're, they're the not-so-bad ones. One, two, three, four, and five. And then, then your neighbor's sins that you don't really like, his come next. Six, seven, eight, nine, and ten. And then the really bad people, you know, that you see on the news, while well, they're, they're up there in the, in the high levels, okay? A lot of us try to do that. I think that's a really silly thing to do. Sin is sin, okay? But here's what I do know. There is one sin that is worse than all, and it's the rejection of Jesus Christ. That is the worst sin, okay? To say no to God, to say, I don't want you, God. I, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to rebel against you. That is the worst of sins. Now, why is that the worst of sins? It's the worst of sins because God is the best of beings. You see, the, be the, the more glorious someone is, the more heinous it is to sin against them, okay? The more glorious someone is, the, 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 the more sinful it is to harm them, to reject them, to oppose them, to be their enemy, okay? And we all already know that. You, you already make value judgments upon what is, what is bad or worse based on how good something is, okay? Let me give you some examples. Hopefully you all know the answers to this. If you don't know the answers to these, I'm really disturbed, okay? The first service didn't know the answers. They didn't, I, you know, I would say it and like one person would answer, okay? Which is better? Which is better, to step on a cockroach... No, no, not better. Let's, let's do something different. Which is worse? Let's go the other way. Which is worse, to step on a cockroach or to step on a baby? Okay, Kathy knows. Good. All right, good. Yes, please. If you have, if you have to do one of those, step on the cockroach, not the baby. Now, why? why? Why do we know that? Well, the baby's more valuable than the cockroach, right? The baby's created in the image of God. 
Okay? And so we know, you know, looking at those two things, you know, it's better to step on a cockroach than it is to step on a baby. Okay? Now, let me give you another one. Okay? Which is worse? To carve your initials into a tree, a dead tree out in the forest, or to carve your initials into the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C.? Well, for most of us, it would be to carve your initials into Lincoln Memorial would be a worse thing, right? Why? Because the Lincoln Memorial is revered, okay? It means something to our nation, okay? It's a place of of, of reverence for our nation. It it, it defines, to some degree, who we're supposed to be as America, okay? So it's it's a sacred place. It's a place of beauty. If you've ever been there, it's a very beautiful monument. And so so that's a worse thing, okay? Let me give you one more, okay? I think you guys are getting the hang of this, all right? It's exciting, okay? Which is worse, okay? Uh, Raymond is, is driving too fast and hits a sparrow, and, but he doesn't kill it. So it's, it's in the ditch and it's kind of, it's wings broke. So it's just kind of spinning around trying to fly, but, but it's, it's hurt. It's hurt. It's not going to make it. Okay. Which is worse to drive by that sparrow and not help it. Or Raymond hits a, a young lady. This is really bad. Raymond driving too fast, hits a young lady. The lady is injured. She's in the ditch, which is worse to drive by the sparrow and not help or to drive by the young lady and not help. Obviously, to drive by the young lady. Why? It's a value thing, right? Now, now the sparrow is not a cockroach, but again, when you compare it to the young lady, the young lady is a much urgent case because of her value in in the sight of God. Now, let me ask you this. Who's the most valuable being in all the universe? It's God, is it not? God is the most valuable being in all the universe. Uh, He is the first and best of beings. He is the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the Lord. He's the king. And so to sin against him is worse than any other sin. Do you see that? And, and, and so, so as Peter is, is telling them here in, in his sermon, Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is God in human flesh. Then you killed him. The point is your sin is horrible in the sight of God. And so what does that do to them? Verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Have you ever been cut to the heart before? You know what that is? Hopefully, if you're born again, you could say, I, 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 that's happened to me. That's happened to me. What that means is you're pierced down in the deepest part of you. You realize that you have, you've sinned. You've made a horrible mistake. Have you ever done something and, and later you came to realize the full implications of your, what you've done? And, and you just have this sick feeling in your gut. That's what it means to be pierced to the heart, to be cut to the heart. And it says they're cut to the heart. They realize that they've done the worst crime imaginable. Not only have they done the worst crime imaginable, but here's probably the second thought in their mind. What's Jesus going to do? You know, I mean, I mean, Peter just said, Jesus, whom you crucified, God raised up from the dead, put him at the right hand of the, of the father. And now God stands next to him saying, son, I'm going to put all your enemies underneath your feet. Well, who are we? We're his enemies. Oh, my. So the next question has got to be with this. What's God going to do? What do I need to do? Right. You know, it's kind of like if, if you go out of here and you go to the quick stop and somebody takes your parking space and you go in and. You're trying to get your Dr. Pepper and they kind of nudge you out of the way and get their Dr. Pepper. And you get so mad because you're a sinner. When you go outside, you just take that guy on. You beat him up. Beat him up. It's all bloody. It's on the ground there. You pick up your Dr. Pepper. You go get in your car and put it in your cup holder. Slurp on a little bit and you turn around. And that guy, take his too, yeah. That guy that you just beat up, this whole talk about this is happening a lot today. That guy that you just beat up, you look back, chief of police is standing beside him with his arm around him. What's your first thought? Uh Uh-oh. What's going to happen to me? 
you ought to be thinking about that today. What's going to happen to you? You say, oh, I didn't kill Jesus. It's your sin. So I haven't rejected Jesus. The Bible begs to differ. You have. You've said you didn't want him. So what are you going to do? That's the question, isn't it? That's what, that's what they ask. Look, look at verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do? And that's the big question. What, what do we do now? We, we realize we've done this. We've, we've already blown it. So, so what do we do? You, you know, there's some people that never get to that question. That, that is the question. That question, it's got to be on your heart at some point in your life for you to ever get to heaven. Okay, you you, you got to come to the point where you're like, what? okay, I'm wrong with God. I'm at odds with God. What shall I do? Some people never get to that question. I, I guarantee you there are people that sit in a church service week after week, and the only questions on their mind are, how can I make more money? How can I marry a pretty wife? How can I marry a handsome husband? How can I get more pleasure out of life? How can my 401k do better? How can I get out of here quicker? Why won't he be quiet? You know? I mean, just, just all these things going through your mind, but never the question is, man, I am separated from a holy God. What do I need to do? That, that's, that's, you got to get there before you can ever be saved. You got to get to the point where you say, you know what? This is my problem. I am separated from God. What must I do to be saved? Let me tell you, there's a lot of wrong answers to that right question. We'll do more good things than you do bad things. That's a wrong answer to that question. Well, pray once in a while. Well, that's the wrong answer to that question. Well, can I be sorry for what you did? Well, that's the wrong answer to that question. Peter has the right answer to that question. The right answer to the question, what shall I do, is first of all, verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. Repent. Now, what does it mean to repent? Well, repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of life. Okay, and I don't think those happen one, two, three. I think they happen all together. It's it's a change of mind that leads to a change of heart that leads to a change of life. Okay, and listen, it is more than simply being sorry for the mess of your sin. Okay, a lot of people when they think of repentance, they just think of being being all sorry for their sin. Listen, that's not repentance. Okay, it's maybe the beginning, it's part of it, but it's not repentance because I know from experience in my own life and seeing tons of other people, you can be broken over the mess of your life and not repent. Okay, you understand that there's lots of people that are like, man, I have messed up my life and I've messed up other people's lives and I've, I've sinned and man, I, I'm not right. And I man, I just now I'm living in this mess and I'm in debt and about broken relationships. Hey, you know what? If, if that's all the further they get, that's not repentance. Repentance happens when, when, when you feel that desperate cut to the heart, but then you take the next step and you change your mind. You change your thinking about God. Okay, you got to change your thing about God. He can't be this, this thing that you think you can push around and do whatever you want and put him where you want to put him and bring him in when you want to bring him in and push him out when you want to push him out. You got to change your mind. He's either the king or he's not. He's either your master or he's not. And you got to change your mind about who he is. And repentance changes, changes one's mind about God. And that leads to a change in one's mind about self. Okay, who are you? You're not a good person. Nobody's good. The Bible tells us that we're all broken sinners and a change in in, in your mind about yourself leads to a change in your mind about your sin. Your sin's not okay. It's not. Well, I got sins that are down here, but everybody else's sins are up here. So it's okay. Your sin is heinous before God. It is wicked before God. And you got to begin to hate your sin. Repentance has a change of mind that leads to a change of heart. You begin to hate to sin and you begin to love God. And that leads to a change of life. And here's where repentance finally finishes up repentance is saying i'm not going in this direction anymore i'm turning 
and I'm going toward Christ. That is repentance, okay? That's what it means to repent. And now notice what he says next. He says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Now, I'm going to spend a lot of time. We're going to spend most of the rest of the sermon on that phrase right there. Be baptized, every one of you. And the reason is, is because that, for us Baptists, that, that, that's, that's unusual. We would expect Peter to say, repent and have faith. Okay, and actually he does most other places, most other places in the Bible that you, you find where it's talking about salvation. Most of the time it talks about faith. Okay, but here Peter says, repent and be baptized. Now, that has led some people to say that salvation is not salvation until baptism. In other words, until you come out of the water, you're not saved. Okay, I disagree with that. And so I want to talk with you a little bit about where I what I believe about baptism, what I think we believe about baptism. All right. Let's go back a little bit further in the Gospels. We're not going to look here, but the Gospels open up with the baptism of John the Baptist. Okay, so John the Baptist enters the scene and he preaches the word and he starts baptizing people. Why does he start baptizing people? As they would hear him preach that they would be convicted of their sin and they would want to change. They would say, you know what? I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to identify myself with God. I, I, want, I want to grab onto the things of God. I want to rededicate myself to God. And so they would be baptized. And that, that, that public baptism was a symbol of transformation, a symbol of change in their life. It was a symbol of embracing a new reality, okay? So Jesus comes on the scene, and, and Jesus says, when you believe in me, then you should be baptized. You should be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Peter says here, you should be baptized in Jesus' name. Okay, now what does that mean? Well, well, it's a similar thing as John the Baptist's baptism, except it's identifying with Jesus. Okay, so when a person is baptized, they're saying, all right, here's what we believe about Jesus, about salvation, about his glory, about his death, about the cross, about sin, about all of this. And I am identifying myself with that. I'm immersing myself in this. That's what it means to be baptized. It is to identify specifically with Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. Let me show you that. Romans chapter 6. Verses 3 and 4, it says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus? What does that mean? We've been baptized. As you do that public public sacrament, you are embracing Christ Jesus, okay? We were baptized into his death, all right? Circle that word in your mind. Verse 4, we were buried. Circle that word in your mind. We were buried, therefore, but with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised, circle that word in your mind, raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Okay, now what words did I tell you to circle? Death, buried, and raised, right? What did, what, did, what did Jesus do? What is the gospel? The gospel is that Jesus died in our place for our sins. He was buried in the tomb. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And he lives forevermore at the right hand of God the Father. Okay? So when we're baptized, we, we are publicly identifying with Jesus' death, his burial, and resurrection. And more, even more than that, we are saying, I am in that. Okay? So when I, when I was baptized, I was saying, the old Jason has died. And is buried. His sins are buried with Christ. The new Jason is raised up to live a new life. That's, that's the, the picture of baptism. The purpose of baptism. Okay? Now, here's the big question though. Is baptism, is it, is it part of our salvation in the sense that a person is not saved until they come out of that water? Now, there are some denominations that would say... They're not saved until you come out of the water, okay? Let me tell you what we believe. I'm not, I'm not knocking those denominations. I'm just telling you, here's, here's what we believe as Baptists. 
we, we believe that you are saved by grace through faith. Okay? Now, let me, let me, I'm just going to create a scenario. Okay? For you, just a hypothetical scenario. And we're going to go back and forth and kind of play these two out. Okay? So, so is, is baptism actually, you're not saved until you're baptized or you're saved by grace through faith and baptism comes as a result of that. Okay? Let's play those two out. Okay? Let's say I meet with a guy this Tuesday. Say I meet with him at McDonald's. Uh, he's, he, God's been working in his heart. So we open up the scriptures and I preach Jesus to him. I tell him about how God loves him, about how Christ died on the cross as a substitute for his sins, how, how Christ rose from the dead, and how he offers him salvation if he'll turn away from his sins and put his faith in Jesus. And let's say as I'm talking to him, he says, Pastor, that's what I want, man. That is what I want. I am done sinning. I'm done with, with living life my way. I want Jesus, and I want him in my life. I want to give my heart to him. What should I do? And I say, hey, brother, you need to repent, and you need to call out to Christ in faith. And so he says, I want to do that right now. So right there in McDonald's. We bow our heads and he prays. He says, God, I want you to save me. I believe what you did for me on the cross. I believe that you're the king. I believe that you're God. I believe that you can save me and forgive me and and fill me with your spirit and change me. And Lord, I want you to come in. Please save me now. Okay. Now, what do we believe? Well, some people would believe that he's on the road to salvation. Okay. He's he's getting close, but we're not there yet because he hasn't been baptized. So he's not saved yet. What do I believe? He's saved, okay? I believe he's saved. I believe the moment he put his faith in Jesus Christ and repented of his sin, the Spirit of God made him alive, okay? That's what I believe. That's what we believe as a church, okay? Now, here's what I believe. That guy's truly saved. You know what's going to happen? We're going to leave McDonald's. I'm going I'm to talk to him about the scriptures we're going to plan to meet. He's going to leave McDonald's. He's going to pull out his cell phone on, on his way home. He's going to call his girlfriend. He's going to call his girlfriend and say, you know, honey, man, let me tell you what happened to me. I just, I met with my pastor and, and, and I just got saved and I gave my life to Jesus and my life is his now. And, and listen, I, I want to talk to you about this, but I just want to tell you, there's going to be some changes in our relationship. And, and I, we just, we can't live a certain way anymore because I've realized that that's sin. And man, I don't want to sin against God anymore. I've had a change of mind about my sin. And so, honey, we're going to talk about this later, okay? All right, honey, we'll, we'll see you later. Bye. And he's going to pick up the phone again. He's going to call his dad, okay? Again, made-up scenario. He's going to call his dad. Hey, dad, you know, we haven't talked in a long time, and, and I know we're at odds with one another, and I know I said some really bad things to you, and I just want to let, I want to let you know what's happened in my heart. I, I, I've received Christ as my Savior and my King. He's, he's changing me, Dad. And all of a sudden, I, just, I don't want to be at odds with you anymore. And so I just want you to know that, that I'm sorry for what I've done. And I ask your forgiveness. And I want to make things right with you. Okay? He hangs up the phone. Now, what would I say? I would say, that guy's saved. Okay? The Spirit of God is already in his life. He's already working, isn't he? I mean, the Spirit of God is already giving him power to turn away from sin and to make things right in his life. What some people would say, he's not up here yet. Not up here yet, so he's not saved. Okay? So let's say Tuesday happens, Tuesday night goes by, Wednesday morning he gets up, he goes to a men's Bible study. He goes to men's Bible study, shows up. He says, guys, I don't know much about the Bible, but I just, I just want you to know I am hungry. You know, I, I, I want to know. And so would you guys mind if I just sat in? You bet, you know. What, what would I say about that? He's saved, man. The evidence of the Holy Spirit's giving him a hunger for God. What would some people say? Not, not yet. He's not been up here yet, okay? Say Friday rolls around. His friend that he's, he's known since high school, he works with him. His friend says, man, I have noticed a change in you. What's going on in your life? Man, you're just different, you know? He's like, man, I was hoping you'd ask. And let me, let me tell you about what happened to me. You know, I, I was reading my Bible. I've been going to church. I met with my pastor. And, 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 and here's what I found out, that Jesus Christ loves me and has a plan for my life. And he died for my sins. And, and man, you know, he, he can save you as well. Okay, what, what's happening? 
The Spirit of God, two weeks ago, remember? He's given him power. The Holy Spirit's giving him power to be a witness. He's a saved guy. What would some people say? Not yet, not yet. He's not been under the water yet, okay? Sunday morning comes around, okay? Sunday morning comes around, and, and, and he's, he, he's, he's just raring to go, and he's back there. We're, we're changing to our baptismal stuff. He says, man, Pastor, it's been a tough week. I mean, man, I've had to make some tough changes in my life, but, oh, it's been so good. And I just feel the power of God helping me and changing me. And, and Pastor, is there any place I could serve? Do you think maybe I could drive one of those team kid buses? Hallelujah! What do we say about him, man? He want to drive a team kid bus? He's saved, all right? Something's happened in his life, you know? What would some people say? Not quite yet. Not quite yet. He's not baptized yet. Okay? So we get down in, in the water, and, and, and you guys are still, you're singing one of your opening hymns, and Pastor Chris is over here on his guitar, and he's just playing away and strumming, and he's getting all after it. And he's, he was watching YouTube videos of Led Zeppelin earlier that, day, that morning. So he's kind of rocking out. You know, he's trying some of those moves. Well, Callie has, has told him his hands are too dry, and so she's having him you know, put on lotion in the morning. She says they're all cracked and ugly, so he's putting on lotion. He's playing. The guitar comes out of his hand, flies. He's got it electric. He's got the cord. Flies into the baptistry. Inside, we're both in there. Electrocuted, we both die. Now, I'm going to heaven. I know that. What about the other guy? Well, what would we say? I would say he's going to heaven. Why? Because at McDonald's, the Spirit of God moved in his life. He turned away from his sins. He put his faith in Christ. What would some people say? Not quite yet. He's close, but he wasn't there yet. Okay? Those are the differences. Hopefully I've made that clear. I tried to try to make that really clear between what we believe about baptism and what others believe about baptism. Now, having said all that, does that mean it's not important? I mean, I just told you this guy got saved and, you know, he's making changes in his his life. He's turning away from sin. He's being a witness. He's wanting to serve. He's not been baptized. So maybe baptism's not that big a deal. No, 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 please. And maybe here is Baptist. Maybe this is what we need to, we need to center on today. It's not an optional thing. Okay. Don't, don't think of baptism. Well, you know, it's kind of a cool thing you do afterwards. Some people do it. Some people don't, but you're, you're saved either way. I, I would never say that. I would never say that, okay? It's not optional in the sense of take it or leave it. Man, identifying with Jesus Christ publicly. You know what Jesus said? He said, if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you when my Father comes in glory, okay? It's a big deal to not be willing to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. You know, and, I, and so if someone says, you know, what, I'm saved and, and but I don't want to get up there in front of everybody and I don't want to put on one of those dumb white robes and I don't want you getting my hair all wet and looking all silly in front of everybody. You know, here's what I would say. If Jesus Christ died for you, if he suffered and was tortured and had his back, you know, beaten and filleted and, and was hung up naked on a cross, pierced with, with the nails and, and, and hung there for six hours to struggle and die and suffocate for you publicly, I think you ought to be willing to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. And it's not an optional thing. I, I, I would never describe it that way. Is it, is it a saving grace? No, I don't think it is. I think you're saved by faith, uh, by grace through faith and repentance of sin. But is it optional? Absolutely not. Just as I would say that, that, for instance, a wedding, you know, let's say that 20 years ago I told Emma, I said, honey, I love you. And man, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But you know what? 
We don't need this wedding stuff. We don't need to let anybody else know. And, you know, instead of buying you a ring, I think I'm going to buy a shotgun if that's okay with you, you know. And I'd like to have a new one and pheasant season's coming up. And, and so, and instead of, instead of the wedding, let's not do that. And, and you know what, hey, you, you keep your place, I'll keep mine. And we'll, you know, I'll spend the night at your place sometime. You spend the night at my place sometime. We'll just, we'll just love each other, you know. And, and, and we don't need anybody else. No, we don't need nobody telling us that we're married, you know. We, we don't need to, we need to pub, make this thing public or anything. We don't need to get up in front of anybody. Now, Emma's a smart woman. You know what she would have said? Nice knowing you, dude. See ya. It's important, isn't it? It was important for me to stand up in front of 200 people and say, I'm committing my life to this woman. From now on, we're going to be identified as one. She's going to take my name. I want everybody to know. It's my wife. I'm going to give her a ring. She's going to wear it until Haven loses it. And then I buy another one. <laughs> that happened this year. <laughs> when she loses, I'm going to buy her another one. You know, she, she gonna, I, want, I want her to have a ring. I, I want people, this is a symbol. We're married. We're in covenant with one another. Okay. Now, I'm not saying marriage is the same thing as baptism. It's not. But I'm saying it's important for you to publicly identify with Jesus Christ. You say, you know what? I belong to him. I belong to him. So Peter says, repent and be baptized. Listen to this. Where's the faith? Where's the faith? Again, everywhere else in the Bible, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay? Where's the faith? Well, look here, look here, look here, look here. Verse, um, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Those who received his word. What does that mean to receive Peter's word? That's faith, isn't it? What it's saying is they believe what Peter was saying. They believe. They believe Peter. Peter says Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus died by the plan of God. And God raised him up. And he sits at the right hand of God. Until God puts his enemies under his feet. We believe that we receive the word. And in many ways, I believe baptism is an expression of faith. I think it is. I think we could say that. When a person is baptized, that, that, that is an expression of their faith saying, I receive the truths of God. I receive them. Notice what he says. He says, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. For the forgiveness of your sin. What? Let's go back. What's the worst sin you can commit? Lying to your pastor. That's right. That's the worst one. No. I just see if you're paying attention. What's the worst one? Rejecting the Son of God. Right? And so, so listen. Here's what I want to say to all those people who, who will say to me, and I've had numerous people say this to me. Pastor, I, I hear you. I hear you preach the gospel. I hear you. you know, all that's good and fine, but it's not for me. I've done too many bad things. The worst thing you could ever do is what you're doing right now. By saying what you just said, that's the worst sin you've ever done. You get that? 
rejecting Jesus, saying, Jesus, I don't believe you can forgive me. I don't believe your death was good enough. I don't believe you're who you say you are. I don't believe that you'll do what the Bible says you'll do. That is the worst sin, okay? Whatever you think your worst sin is, whatever you think you're too heavy for God to carry, by rejecting Christ's forgiveness, that's the worst sin you've ever done. You're not too heavy for God to carry. That doesn't honor God to say that. Some people say that like they're, they're, they're honoring God. Like, well, I've just I've done too many bad things. You know, I don't want to burden God with me. That's like my little three-year-old girl coming up to me and saying, you know, we're out hiking, let's say. And she lifts up her hands and says, Dad, I'd really like for you to carry me, but I know you're probably not strong enough. I don't say, well, thank you for honoring me, Haven. You know, that doesn't honor me. You know what honors me? After we have our devotions at night, a lot of times the kids, the bigger kids, I'll, I'll make them run up the stairs. I'll give them a couple seconds, and then I'll, I pinch them on the back of the leg as they run up there, see who can get up the fat. We do all kinds of fun things in the house. But anyway, Haven, since she was little, so we've always done that, she, she won't go up the stairs after, you know, she makes me carry her. But sometimes she's feeling real sorry for her siblings, and she's like, Daddy, can you carry me and Avery up? You know, and she'll say that. About once a week, I'll, okay, you know, so I carry her and Avery up the stairs, you know. The other day, she said, Dad, can you carry me and Bubba up? I said, I can, but I'm not going to. But that honors me. It honors me for her to say, man, Dad, you can carry everybody. You know what honors Jesus? It honors him when you come to him and you say, Jesus, man, I've blown it all my life. But I believe you're who you say you are. And I'm repenting of my sin. And I'm turning and put my faith in you. And I believe you can forgive me of everything that I've done. The Bible says, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And listen to this. Listen to this. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did, did you know that the Holy Spirit comes? We, we've talked about this for two weeks. But I want to emphasize it again. The Holy Spirit comes with salvation. And the reason I want to emphasize that is there's a lot of people that say forgiveness of your sins. Yes, I want that. All my sins to be forgiven. And you receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, I'm not that interested in that. They come together, folks. Where there's forgiveness, there's the power of the Holy Spirit to change your life. Listen to who it's for. Verse 39. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Lest we think it's all about us. Lest we think it's all about what I do. God comes right back and says, well, hold on, hold on. This is the Spirit of God. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. You know what happens when the Holy Spirit moves? 3,000 people get saved in a day. Man, we need the Holy Spirit. Don't we, church? Man, I can preach till my, my lungs fall out. Nothing's going to happen unless the Holy Spirit's working. We need the Holy Spirit, don't we? Let's say that. We need the Holy Spirit. We need him. Man, when he's at work, man, lives are going to be changed. I'd like for our guys to come forward. We're going to close our service today with uh, the Lord's Supper. Let, let me pray as, as they come and prepare the table. Father, I just thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness, Lord. Father, I, I pray, God, that you would give us faith, that you would give us repentance. God, that you would, you would help us to see our sin and to turn away from it. Father, I just pray that baptism would become a very special thing at Lincoln Avenue. God, I, 
I think of Jordan who came at the last service, God, to, to be baptized. And what a significant that step that is in his life. And Lord, I pray that it would truly be what it ought to be, a turning from sin and embracing Jesus Christ and a receiving of the salvation that you purchased through the cross. Father, help us to think rightly about it. Father, I pray that as we take the Lord's Supper, uh, another picture, God, we understand it's a picture of the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus. And Father, we ask that you would make that real in our lives, that we live through the sacrifice of Jesus. Father, we ask it in your name. Amen.